0: Welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1048. This is my interview with Amy
1: barnard Barn, and we're discussing her promotability index. Enjoy. Hello,
0: Amy. Welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here today with us.
2: Thank you, Lee. Great to be here.
1: Um, That's awesome. Whereabouts are you?
2: I am in Sacramento, California.
1: In California. Awesome. The weather's uh, no doubt good there at the moment.
2: It's hot. It's about 100 degrees yeah, Celsius. Yeah.
1: 100 degrees. What's that? About 30
2: Fahrenheit. I mean, sorry.
1: 33 degrees I think Celsius. It's 30 or
2: something. something. Yeah, Celsius. Yeah.
1: Divided by three. I don't really know. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Um, it's, it's nice and cool here at the moment, but I'm um, just passing through winter. Uh, but let's get into our conversation. And to start with, I'd like to for you to give us a bit of an intro into what you do, your profession. Um, You've also written a book. Um, So yeah, give us a bit of a glimpse.
2: Sure. So I spent about 20 years working in executive roles in pretty large corporations. Before that, I was an attorney and did a bunch of litigation and some social justice work. And um, I worked my way up to executive roles and found that there were a number of things that I wish I had known on my way up. And so when I founded my consultancy for coaching and consulting, I brought those together um, into a self-assessment for leadership, as well as a book. Okay. So,
1: so working in the executive space for, for some time, and now you've gone out into the coaching world yes. and helping those same people that you are working with. Yes. To become better leaders, and you also help with um, people develop into leadership roles. Is that right?
2: I do. And so I help remove barriers. We, we work together either on teams. I work with executive teams. And a lot of teams have hired people during the pandemic that they never met. So they are now yeah. coming back together. Now that people have started traveling again and, and getting together and um, they want to set social norms. CEOs want to get everyone on the same page, get everyone aligned and make sure that people understand the culture and what they're trying to achieve in terms of their mission and, and strategies. So I do that for, for groups as well as in for individual executives. Um, Sometimes people come to me directly, they may have been given difficult feedback around a derailing behavior, or sometimes their boss or manager sends them to me, and we work through it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very rewarding. And then I also do some work in social justice. I testified for the women on boards, laws in the United States, in California, Oregon, and Washington, and I've done some work with disability rights and other other areas. So it's my whole passion is around Lee is around access to your full potential, whatever you want that to be. So removing barriers, um, whether it's in the legal sphere, or in the corporate environment, and helping people be self aware, so they can really realize their full potential.
1: Okay, so self awareness would be a, a starting point for a lot of people to help them realize that full potential
2: yes it is definitely i i believe in radical self-reliance and i think anyone who's worked long enough in an organization realizes you've really got to take ownership of of your career in order to to be a fully satisfied human being you know in the long haul and having honest discussions with yourself about the impact that you have on others and what your capabilities are and getting feedback and being okay with with getting tough feedback that you might not even agree with. Or, or you might not even respect the person. But being aware of what others' perceptions are, you are of you, is the only way that you can, you know, kind of regain control to then potentially change it if it's not what you want it to be. If it's not having mm. the impact yeah. that you want it to be. Because
1: I all suppose have
2: blind, blind spots.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's being vulnerable, isn't it? And yeah, vulnerability and is, is something that we wish to avoid.
2: Yes, we, we do at our peril, I would say, especially if you're ambitious yeah. and you want to kind of get to the top and you want to achieve a lot, you've got to be willing to hear what, what we've, what our brains actually try to protect us from hearing. Um, mm. We have to fight that impulse and be vulnerable and courageous as, as you say.
1: Okay. Is that, is that the, um, is, is that sort of the, the idea behind the, the PI index, which you've created the promotability uh. index?
2: yes it is my goal was to make the principles of, of coaching and promotability accessible to anyone because not everybody can afford a coach and not all organizations will pay for a coach for people and so it was a lot of the things that i wish i had known coming up the okay. ladder.
1: so it's a book that i could get if i'm in a workplace um to help me advance my career essentially yes. is that the and it's a guidebook t- isn't it more so
2: It is, it's a guidebook. Um, It's got a journaling aspect to it, and it has over 30 exercises that are tied to the free assessment that I offer on my website that breaks promotability down into five key elements, which is self-awareness, external awareness, so what your impact is on other people, strategic thinking, executive presence, and thought leadership. And so you take the, it's 82 questions, you take the self-assessment, it gives you the results. And then if you want to work on those things, you can buy the book and work on them either with your manager, which is a great way to show yeah. vulnerability and get the feedback and say, hey, this is how I rated myself. How would you rate me? Or you know, is my self-perception aligned with how you view me? And that can be a really rich discussion because you know where you stand, what your chances of advancement are. You can have a really rich career development discussion. Um, and I've had several people who have said that it that it really solidified their relationship with their leader and gave them a shared language for how to talk about what was missing or what they were really great at. Um, and they often got very positive feedback on things that they hadn't been aware of.
1: Yeah, interesting. Is This, um, this is available online, obviously, at your website, which we can mm-hmm. stick in the show notes.
2: Okay.
1: And that's bernardbarn.com. Yes. Um. I won't spell that out, guys. But check out the link in the, the show notes. We'll stick the link there. This is available for for any employee manager relationship, like because in any in, in any profession, I suppose. Could we grab this it assessment and, and run with it?
2: Yeah, you can. It's um. I've coaches even use it, and they use my workbook as well with their clients. Yeah. It's okay. um. It's written for you know Fortune 500 type companies but when i piloted it i had some consultants and independent entrepreneurs and other people who worked in government and they still said that they got a lot beneficial. out
1: of it yeah mm-hmm. so that's what were those five areas again
2: self-awareness self-awareness ex- external awareness
1: mm-hmm.
2: strategic thinking executive yep. presence yep. and thought leadership
1: okay so although the five key areas we need to sort of focus on to help us advance in in our role. Yep. Yes. So what when you look in a, a workplace today, what do you find are the, are the greatest, it's, it's usually around people I assume, but what are the greatest challenges you see that workplaces face today? Is it that relationship between people in the workplace?
2: I think so. People are so burned out, specifically right now, after COVID and middle management, I think, has really been crushed in terms of the expectations and the return to work and managing remotely and and then probably their own family you know issues and staying healthy and Mm -hmm. it's, it's just been a real crush for everyone and so it's put more of an onus on leaders to really reach out to understand what's going on there's been a bit of a breakdown in the what would normally be a boundary between work and life whether I share with you that I'm caretaking my you know elderly mother or whether you know my kids have covid and i just can't manage right now and i need a break and someone needs to pick up the slack there's there's a lot of that going on then of course managers have that as well so what i i see with my executive clients is just fatigue and trying to recharge this summer i think has been a really good time and a lot of companies have recognized that we hit a wall and that they need to give people a reprieve in order to keep them and the the great resignation a great reset whatever you want to call it in terms of a lot of people just saying forget it i i can't do this anymore my life isn't working
1: are you saying that like, is that fairly large scale? Or
2: um i have seen it and and my leaders have had a lot of people leave and that has generated and spurred more of a focus on the on the caretaking and on i think individuation of of leadership and knowing you know, me having more of a focus on what specifically makes you tick and what motivates you and what do you need from me? You might be a hands-off kind of person that actually doesn't need a lot of management and that's great, but I should know that at this point, you know, with all the working remote, maybe you're someone who actually really needs um, society and you want the interaction, you need the feedback from me that you're doing a good job in order to keep going. So I, as a manager, need to know, you know, uh, situational leadership in terms of who needs what, and are you getting that and, and in order to retain you and and have you stay? And so I think there is more of a focus on that.
1: So do you, do you see the workforce, and again, I'm external to, to what you're seeing, do you see the workforce going back to how it was or is it now changing to this situation where it's half and half like a hybrid model where people are still working for home and, and and companies are pushing for more of that for cost-saving initiatives, whatever it might be? Which way do you see it going? Like, is it going to get back to the pre-COVID sort of ways? or
2: I think it depends on the industry. The, yeah. the tech industry can do a lot remotely, mm-hmm. whereas the financial services industries are calling everybody back full-time, Goldman Sachs, you know, all the big investment firms, and then everybody else I think is somewhere in between. I mean, there's some workers that have never stopped working in person, all the distribution centers, frontline healthcare, hospitals, you know, a, a lot of healthcare if it's And a lot of personal services and hospitality, those are all in person. So, those people have never been given a reprieve. Everything kind of in the middle, um, like banking, unless it's it's at a teller, I think is probably hybrid right now. And I would expect that to continue for a few more years until we really know whether we've gotten COVID under control or not. It'll be really interesting after that point. I don't think we've reached that point yet because the virus is still um, evolving after that point it'll be interesting to see if corporations wield their power frankly that they always have because they pay the paychecks and whether they whether they allow for more flexibility or whether they they draw the line and call everybody Mm. back like like marissa meyer did at yahoo many many years ago when she had her own crib for her baby next door to her office so that rankled a lot of people and that was a big deal when because you know they had been the leaders this is before covid uh, Yahoo had had uh, a lot of liberal policies around working from home, but sometimes CEOs just say, "You know what? I don't think we're getting enough done." They get s- something comes to them or an issue happens, and they can get reactive, and and that can happen. So mm. it, it it will be really interesting to see. I think it will depend on the culture of the company. I think nonprofits, you know, are usually a little more flexible yeah. around this, but it always depends on the leader.
1: It's interesting There's got to be a mentality around um leaders who feel like they're not get you know if they if they can't see people working i.e people working remotely and the productivity is not where they want it to be they would assume that because people aren't in the office and I can't see them working that things aren't getting done like how do they measure that that level of productivity because I've heard reports that in many, well, in many industries that people that are allowed to have that flexibility work environment and work from home um, actually have better productivity than working in a work environment.
2: There is some evidence to indicate that definitely. And I think when you have a good work-life balance and you can handle everything on your own time when you're motivated to do it, if your job allows that flexibility, then it's great. It's, it's a win-win. Leaders should manage by outcome. They should, they should measure results, not yep. face time. But some leaders do measure FaceTime. In some industries and corporations, their culture is about, about FaceTime. And there is a bias for office-based cultures. There is a bias towards people who are who are there, who are physically seen. And that has already been proven to disproportionately impact women who usually take on more of the caretaking responsibilities, whether it's children or the older generation. It's not always true. Of course, men are caretakers as well, but but disproportionately it usually falls yeah. to women. And so over the past couple of years, we've seen less promotions, we've seen less movement ahead and people surmise that, that there's a bias around the presenteeism, if you will.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly as a leader myself, I feel that, you know, because I guess I, I'm, a, I'm a worker, a workaholic maybe, and I'll get in early and leave early. And I guess if you, I mean, you do measure the results, um, but if you don't have them here, and the results aren't coming in, then you might question, okay, well, what's going on? I need, you know, it just mm-hmm. feels like it's the presence that is necessary, even though really the results. To... Yeah.
2: It really gets down to trust, doesn't it? Hmm. And you build trust by showing results or yeah. and, and or by being with the person. So if you don't have either, or if it's something that's very hard to measure, or if someone's not hmm. keeping you up to date, I think that's really important right now too. Is if if people are remote, making it clear as a leader how you want to be updated, how frequently, what data you want to see, that's critical
1: to a
2: good working relationship. And and everybody should be having that conversation if they haven't already.
1: Yeah. So I think I think that's um, and and going back to the promotability promotability index. Can't even say the word. (laughs) Going back to the PI index. It's all around that communication, isn't it? Like to be able to sit in that relationship and have those discussions and be fully um, transparent with each other, um, both the employee and the boss. So how do we go about doing that? How do we, uh, as a manager or or an employee, how do we become more self-aware and develop the skills to have that level of communication?
2: Well, I think you just start having the dialogue you you prepare by doing an as honest a self assessment as you can and the, how do you the do an the honest
1: self assessment
2: i would think back to feedback you've been given all your life you yeah. know whether it's your mom or your first job and what are themes that keep popping up for you right is it is it that you can be defensive about criticism when someone criticizes your project or how you've handled something? Is it that you can come across as intimidating or arrogant? Is it that you don't speak up? Is it that you don't, that you're too quiet and you actually don't assert yourself in a way that helps to lead results and lead your team forward? It could be any of those. And so you think about those, the Promotability Index Assessment has provocative questions to try to help get at that. They're worded in a way that's also intended to increase awareness simply by reading them and by thinking, oh, that's important. Have I thought about that in a while? I I, did, I wasn't seeing that That was a link to promotability. A lot of people, especially younger people in their 30s, have gotten back to me and said, gosh, now that I think about it, I realize that is important, but I never knew that that, that was important. Um, so so that can help. And then going to your boss and just saying, hey, I, I you know, took this self-assessment. I really want to do my best. I want to see what you think. So can you sleep on this overnight? And at our next one on one, I'd love to talk about it with you. Because I'd love to see, you know, one or two areas that I can improve in. It's important not Mm. to assign too much homework to yourself. If you're a type A perfectionist, then you can easily go overboard. But nobody can handle more than one or two behavior changes at a time. We have our habits for very good reasons. If you know, especially the older we get, they've been serving us and in general, doing us well, or wouldn't be where we are.
1: Mm. But as
2: we move forward in our careers and uh, evolve as, as human beings, usually there's one or two habits we've picked up that are no longer serving us and no longer mm-hmm. going to ultimately make us happy. And so that's where the coaching can come in um, or a really good uh, mentor or sponsor of you that can give you feedback.
1: So in that self-assessment um, questionnaire, you provide, I assume, is about what, 15 questions that people it's can go 80, through? It's, and-
2: it's 82.
1: 82, but is that over yeah. the five categories or is it 82 Yes, it each? is. Okay.
2: It's no, no. It's it's 82 total.
1: 82 total. 10, okay. Ten
2: to ten to twelve for each category.
1: For each. So the, that as far as the self awareness category goes, um, you could sit down and just do that segment first, and then do break it down like that rather than you doing could. the full 82. I can you imagine could. it could be quite overwhelming to go through 82 and.
2: Uh, most people say it's fun. I kept it yes or no. I didn't do a Likert scale or okay. anything. I wanted to keep it really simple. Try to make it fun. Mm. Um, you can do it on your phone. the The, uh, the UX is good on it. Okay. Yeah. And um, the the thing that I created about it as well is you can go back and take it again at any time. So the idea is, it's something you you come back to. I mean, no one really, in my opinion, can get an eighty two score. Yeah. It's if you're really honest, like even like I can't. Um, and I know where you know I'm working and, and need to work, or maybe I don't have motivation to work on something and that's okay. Some yeah. people take it and they realize they don't want to get promoted. I've had, I've had that happen. One of my companies have adopted the, the uh, PI for their entire organization. I have a case, case study on my website about it. And one of my leaders found that one-third of, of her direct reports didn't want to be promoted. And that was super helpful to her to know as well for succession planning. Yeah, And she said, great, then how do we keep you interested? If you don't wanna get promoted, that's great. You wanna be an individual contributor. How do we keep you learning and engaged and not bored in this job if you're gonna keep this job for you know, five, 10 years? So those were still really good discussions to have.
1: Hmm, Is there any tools that you can give people to develop this self-awareness? Because I'm, again, just an assumption, but I assume when people are taking these assessments, there's this ego sort of barrier, maybe blocking them from answering the the questions more authentically.
2: Well, and that's where comparing it or giving it to a friend or yeah. a partner, um, if you don't feel comfortable giving it to your boss, depending on how so that's a good idea. You know, how much you trust your boss and you feel comfortable. Um, you can get a lot of great feedback because it's showing up at work. It's, it's often showing up at home too, right?
1: Yes. Um, yeah.
2: We're not two different, completely different people. And usually actually, you know, we lose our temper more with our loved ones than, than our coworkers. Yeah. Um, so so that can be a helpful way to do it. The, the guidebook was created as a companion to the okay. assessment to help people work through it. So my best advice is in there. Um,
1: what, what advice can you give us around um, improving our communication skills, whether it's at home or in the workplace? Because I assume that's a por- an important part of it.
2: It is. I would say if you have the luxury of preparation, that's always fantastic, especially if it's if it's a difficult message that mm-hmm. you're communicating. So I would always take some time to prepare a few bullet points and have those in my head and and run through what, what language am I using? How am I what you know what outcome do I want from the conversation? How is this going to hit the other person? Um, is this bad news that I'm delivering? Is this um, great news? You know how you know what should who else should be there should anyone be there or is it a private conversation thinking through all of that so that you have the appropriate impact What mm-hmm. what's the ultimate goal of the conversation And then working backwards and designing designing that outcome and then thinking of plan b plan c if yeah if it does if it doesn't go well
1: it's definitely preparation um and planning would be ideal. I mean, imagine that's something that you'd probably see as a a bit of a flaw in most situations. There's communications just blur rather than thought thought out, you know. Um, But if you don't have that, I guess that's one one area that we could all improve is having that preparation to a conversation. But what other challenges do you see um, other than, you know, the preparation side of things that are commonly done incorrectly with, you know, surrounding communication?
2: Well, we've seen people... Companies announce layoffs on social media, so that's mm. the biggest. Uh,
1: social media must be a, a huge. Yeah, social, I, I imagine just... tech tech in general must be a a huge issue. I find it a huge issue. Um, certainly, face to face must be the best method of communication. But Absolutely. So many For people rely like on email and text to send messages, and I find that too often. Even if it's not that important, too often, messages can get um, um, messed up, you know, in that sort of communication. Yes.
2: Face-to-face or Zoom-to-Zoom if you need to, which is necessary for a lot of people that live far apart, mm. um, is, the, is the best. There's no question. The next best is telephone individuals. I can hear your voice. I can hear your tone. I can hear whether you care or not. You know, we, we can sense these things as, as humans. And then the least favored would be anything that could be misinterpreted and doesn't show respect, doesn't show that human element, which would be technology, text, emails, Slack, um, social media. That's not the way to make an announcement that impacts people's livelihoods, right? Mm. There was a CEO that that fired everybody on a on a conference call and was taken to task. He temporarily lost his job for it, actually. And, um, and, and, and talked about, I can't remember which company it was, but he talked about how hard it was for him, which was a number two mistake no one cares that it's hard for you and no one believes it you're keeping your job so if you're a leader or you're the ceo don't don't talk about how this is hard for you no one mm. cares um
1: has got to be the hardest thing in a, in a well in any relationship i think is that no one cares about anyone else but themselves and i don't <laughs> i mean that at a disrespectful level at all i think that's a fundamental nature of humankind um so to take that away and, and put it on the other person really have that ability to care for the other person has got to be pretty tricky.
2: It takes a lot of emotional energy and it's, it's a, it's a gift of service to, to put yourself. And, and I think that's, that's when the best communications happen. And having been an attorney and done employment litigation, I can tell you that when managers don't do it well, that's when we see a lot of employment litigation because people get angry, they feel disrespected and they they're out for blood. And part of the reason I went into HR, and then ethics and compliance, and then coaching, was to be in a position to help organizations do the right thing and prevent a lot of these unnecessary um, negative workplace situations that could have Mm -hmm. just been handled by, by showing more respect, by having a better conversation, by being more open about why someone wasn't performing. Another thing with communication is a lot of companies aren't honest and don't give employees the feedback they need. They they don't, you know, have the courage to articulate exactly what they need and what isn't being done. And instead, they'll, you know, make up something else or say they just don't have the budget or, or that kind of thing. And and people can tell, I think, if you're not being fully honest, and it's doing them a disservice because they may never learn what, what they need to do better, and they may carry that then to the next employer and And, um, so that that's important, Mm. I think for employers to be open and honest. Yeah. So
1: is there anything wrong with that? I mean, being open and honest. Yeah. I mean, I think that's again, going sort of to vulnerability too. You feel like by, by being open and honest, somehow you're going to be ridiculed and, you know, it's okay Mm -hmm. to, to admit you've made a mistake. It's okay to be vulnerable and, and that you don't know, you know, things like that.
2: It is really important for cultures to cultivate that and leaders can model that is the best way for them to encourage others to come forward and have kind of what we would call a speaking up culture where people feel comfortable being vulnerable and courageous in in taking a stand, whether it's giving someone feedback or saying something isn't right, you know, we need to do this differently, or have a concern about X or Y. You know, we see so many um, areas of, of misconduct or fraud or embezzlement or, you know, wrongdoing and companies just blowing up and, and imploding and having a culture where people feel comfortable is, is critical. So I do a lot of work in corporate governance as well, kind of okay. do, doing the right thing, lining people up to do the right thing, which making is making people really feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some cultures do a great job at it. And they have more innovation and more diversity and more openness to ideas because the same the same um, characteristics that make us feel comfortable having difficult conversations also lead to sparks of innovation and good debate. Whether an idea or a business model is is going to work, or a product, or you know, a new line of business, so that's really important. And so, those same qualities of being able to hash it out, but not take it personally, you know, like you and I could get in a room and say, well, I don't, I don't think that's going to work because of this. And you can say, Well, Amy, I don't think this is going to work because of this. We can hash it out, and if we can walk out arm in arm, you know and say, OK, great, that was a great discussion. I feel really committed now because I know all my ideas got out on the table and so did yours. And maybe your idea, maybe you convinced me or the CEO decided on your idea. But we can be a team going out because I already know I had my say. And mm. there's kind of a feeling of, with most people of due process. You know, we, we all want to be heard in some way or another. And so once we've done that, we can usually accept the decision. And that's much better than a than a false harmony and okay, well, I didn't get my way and I'm not going to, that's what the CEO decided, but I'm not going to support that decision. You know, we passive, you can passive aggressively not support it, right? And and that happens all over companies when people aren't given the chance to to say their say and give their input.
1: So in those companies where you've seen really um, good cultures, what are the things that make those cultures tick? Like what are the, the key features that you see? Trust around people
2: being one. comfortable trust yeah okay like you and i just, yeah, started talking about earlier trust is absolutely number one do you trust that the company is going to you know give you what you need in terms of fair working conditions fair pay um a chance to speak up and have a say in your work and treat you well you know o- overall treat you fairly And then with your manager specifically will they will they tell you what you're doing well will they tell you when you're not meeting expectations will they support your growth and development as a person our next generation is really expecting that i have two teenage daughters and you know the the expectations have never been higher i think from any generation around fairness equity having having meaningful work and they're much more willing to walk away than prior generations if it's not meaningful work and if they don't feel you know a personal connection with the mission of the organization, and so that's going to be really interesting as they start to grow in the workforce to see how they lead, in a generation or two, and uh, what compromises they might find they need to make or not, or if there's a new way of leading.
1: Yeah, what are you working on next, yourself? I've
2: been working on uh, delivering bad news, actually. Delivering Something bad news. touched on earlier, and how to how to do that. I. I've done a couple of keynotes and interviewed a bunch of people, from people who served in Afghanistan to uh, Wall Street executives on their bad news stories, whether they turned out well or poorly. There's a lot of social science research that you know around "shoot the messenger." You've probably heard that phrase, and it's it's accurate because we actually don't like people who bring us bad news, and the worse the news is, the the more we uh, immediately kind of, from an animal instinct, dislike them and we actually distrust them. And in some cases, we even blame them for mm. being, for causing the bad news, even when they didn't. And that was fascinating yeah. research for me to find out because I work a lot in how do we create healthy workplace cultures and to have a healthy workplace culture, you've, you you can not only have good news all the time, right? That just isn't reality. Um, people learn, you know, people need to learn from mistakes or just even little errors in judgment or, or, you know, and CEOs should want to have complete transparency into their business yeah and so you need to
1: so you avoid giving bad news because you don't want to be judged for it it and or don't have that mistrust
2: well you've heard the yes man thing right like some ceos just hire yes people Mm. around them and it's it's a danger Mm. because the the higher you get in an organization the less information you get you know you're at the top and People at the bottom hear all the gossip, hear all the scuttlebutt, you know, about everything, um, and get a lot of random information. They may only see the, type of the tip of the iceberg, but they get a lot of information. And the higher you get, you know, the the more you're in a an echo chamber with your executive peers, and the less and less people are willing to stick out their neck or say, "I heard this. Is this just a rumor?" Or, you know, "Is this is this real? What does this mean? We're doing about this or that kind of thing." Um, so very important for for CEOs and leaders to create a communication strategy from bottom up. You know, yeah. I was in roles, I would have coffees every quarter where anybody could, up to 20 people could sign up and it was ask me anything. And I'd take 20 people out to coffee and we'd sit at a round table and and I would literally take anything that they had. And then I had a, a different strategy for my uh, middle executive VPs. You know, I would, I would go to their meetings regularly, I'd have them, they would submit questions to me in advance if they wanted to, and I would, I would you know present at their meetings and of course i have my executive team meetings and my one-on-one with the ceo so i think that that each group kind of the communication strategy is a little bit different mm. and the more power you have in the relationship the more you need to um make it really psychologically safe for the other person who yeah. has less power in the relationship if you really want to know what's going on and you yeah
1: should. Yeah. yeah and that, that uh, going back to delivering bad news the um you know, the idea of you losing trust with me when I deliver bad news, even though it's not my problem, um, is, is something that I, I come across often enough. So how do you go about what's, what's your three tips to delivering bad news? Just briefly, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I actually created a six step process six steps. after okay. I codified it after um, interviewing everyone and and seeing commonalities in it. So the first is to psychologically prepare your audience. And so that they realize, oh, bad news is coming. Because when we are surprised by, by bad news, we actually freeze for like one, one fraction of a second. And it's, it's a fight or flight response. It's activated. Yeah. So if we're prepared, like if I came to you, Lee, and I said, hey, I, I wish I had better news. And if I started our conversation with that, you'd, you'd probably take it, you may not even be aware of it, but you'd probably take a deep breath yeah. physically and be like, OK, what do you have to tell me? So that that little heartbeat of a moment, there. really yeah. important to prepare your audience to hear it. Um, so they're not shocked. Then the second is to rehearse confident delivery. So this assumes you have time to prepare. Not all of us have time to prepare, but if you do, use it um, yep. and pra- practice it with your words. The third is to be fully present and fully focused. Sometimes when you're the bearer of bad news, you can really get freaked out. You can you can psych yourself out about it. Like, oh my God, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to get fired? Am I, you know, is this person not going to like me anymore? You know, yeah. what if I if I had a hand in it? Are they going to hate me? Am I a bad person? You, know, I mean, you become so many too much inwardly. You could, just, inwardly, go, or you could yeah. just totally spiral downwards, right? So you you want to um, be fully present and fully focused, um, yeah. so that the person feels that you're empathetic and that that you care. That's very important. And that leads to the fourth point, which is convey benevolent, proactive intent, which is, Lee, this happened. Um, you know, I'm if, if I had a hand in it, I might apologize and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't see this coming. This is what I'm doing about it. And that's when you move into the proactive intent around, I'm gonna own this. I wanted you to know, so I'm telling you, and this is what me or my team is doing about it. The fifth point, which is really important, is explain without justifying. A lot of people, and I'm sure you've seen this in the media, when they make people make statements, they try to justify, and it's really important to stay away from that because that can cause a backlash against you as the messenger. If you ch- if you try to make excuses, right? I'm sure you've had that experience. Um, yep,
1: yep, can relate to that. Or,
2: or done it yourself. I know I did it when I was a kid. I mean, kids do it all the time, right? Yeah, but but he made me do it, or mm. <laughs> you know, it's the adult version of that. And then the sixth is to add a sense of urgency. So if it's something that has happened, say in a large organization, like a like an ethical violation or a compliance issue, um, or something that that uh, is urgent for the company to address, you want to make sure that they address it. Some bad news messengers have a have a run the risk of trying to downplay the severity of the issue in order to kind of get off the hook, like well it's 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 bad, but it's not that bad, right? Well. If it is really bad you don't want to lessen the pressure for the organization to do something especially if it's a, if it's a widespread issue depends on what the issue is but if mm. i'm assuming it's something you know pretty bad like a lot of the ones that i've worked on um and you want that urgency because without urgency you can't initiate a, a large change
1: mm-hmm. yeah good points i like it i'm glad okay. i asked um are you going to write a book about this or
2: i've thought about it i i'm mm. i'm um, pressure testing interest. I just, yeah. just wrote the PI book last year. So I, I need a little bit of a break. Um, but, I, I but think we'll it could be
1: adaptable across many, many parts of life or, or work, work all life um, delivering bad news. So yeah, look forward to seeing it. Amy. And um, just want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, you've got the website there that we will stick the link in the show notes, banana Is there any other ways people can connect with you or find out more about your work?
2: Yes, I would love for people to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. I'm on all the channels, Instagram. I'm on all the channels, mostly on LinkedIn and uh, my website. And they're welcome to take the free Promotability Index assessment. Yeah. And then if they want to work on it, they're welcome to buy the book.
1: That's pretty cool. Okay. Well, um, all the um, links to your, your social media channels are in your website. Yes. Um, I assume as well. So, guys, check it out. Um, this is Amy Barnard Barn. And um, thank you for coming on, Amy.